Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. With your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Welcome to Window on the West. Thanks for joining us one more time this week. My name is Jonathan Watson from TheOneRing.com, and I'm here along with Dan Coates and Michael Grumbine. Howdy. As we continue walking slowly, very slowly, through the Silmarillion, uh, getting into Chapter 4, is it, I think, right, of the Coming of Elves and the Captivity of Melkor? Should be Chapter 3. Oh, Chapter 3. I don't know. This is the fourth episode, fifth episode. I don't have it open right in front of me the second. But yes, we are well on our way into uh, the deep histories of Middle-earth. And uh, we finally get to meet the elves today. But before we do, get to see both of you guys. It's been a, a minute. Um, we usually okay. start off with, with a little bit of... All that is gold does not glitter. And uh, we'll, we'll continue that in a certain vein. And we're going to go trivia this time so that it's not just silly little quotes that are easy to think are Chesterton, apparently, because that's, <laughs> that's all that I... Are you, you're, you're just mad that I stumped you last week. <laughs> so it was the last two weeks. It's both times. I still blame, blame Ethan Nicole and his uh, Chesterton's Gateway book. Reading that every <laughs> once in a while. Um, so, so let's do a couple of, of trivia bits, see how, how good you guys know this. And again, we're, Dan, you're at a disadvantage. I'm sorry, but um, we still love you. I, I, I signed up for the podcast, so I knew what, <laughs> I, knew what I was getting into. All right. So question number one, and I'll, um, I'll give you multiple choice. So we'll, we'll do it that way because I think uh, some of these might be a little easier if, if we don't do that. So, uh, okay, where was John J.R.R. Tolkien born? Uh, was he born in Amsterdam? Was he born in uh, Durban, South Africa? Or maybe Pretoria, South Africa? Or maybe... Bloemfontein, South Africa, or maybe Exeter, England, which is uh, a city in England. Which is not in South Africa. Which is not in South Africa. So it is three choices in South Africa, which might be a hint. But uh, the other two are, uh, are Amsterdam, Exeter, Bloemfontein, Durban, or Pretoria. So kind of... Uh, I. I'm sure Michael knows this. He's probably read enough to have come across it a few times. So do you, are you guys ready with your answers? I guess I'll guess Pretoria based on nothing at all. So <laughs> nice. Yes. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> all right, Michael. Um, yeah, he was born in Blomfontein, South Africa. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you got halfway there. You were very close. I picked the right country. So. You did That's pick right. the right country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had a you had a sixty percent shot shot to get the country right, uh, so yeah, it is uh, Blomfontein. So there's there's one for Michael. Yeah, and then he moved. Uh, his his father died, I think, and then he moved to England uh, when he was four, maybe three, three. I feel like it was three. I don't remember which one it was, but he was very yeah, young. Yeah. He was very young, and then he moved to England along with his sister, I believe. Yep, is that right? Yep, and. Uh, uh, and then from there, right, we can get into all that. But yeah, yeah, he was pretty young. He was born in South Africa, believe it or not. Just like Elon Musk. <clears throat> They're exactly the same. 
So, <laughs> here's one. Except uh, for except for everything about them, they're exactly the same. Yeah. They both create worlds of their own making. It's amazing. Okay, all right, and <laughs> and they both have a healthy respect for free speech. There you go. Yes, that's right. As long as you don't have a king in front of you, because anyway uh so uh here, here's the next one which of these things is not made of the wood lebethron which of these things is not made of the wood lebethron uh the casket carrying the crown at aragorn's coronation uh uh the chair of the steward of denethor or the staves given by faramir to frodo and sam which of these things were not made of the wood Lebethron, which was mm. cherished by the skilled craftsmen of Gondor? So one again is the casket carrying the crown at Aragorn's coronation, the chair of the steward of Denethor, or the staves given by Faramir to Frodo and, and Sam. This is a, you, you picked a tricky one. I did. I'm going to say the chair. The chair. Michael? The casket. Dan, hey. well done. The chair. The chair is actually made of stone in uh, the halls of kings. Oh, right. Good yeah, call, yeah. Dan. So the I knew. So this is what I do know. I do know that the crown itself is made of Levithron. So I wasn't sure if you were trying to trick me, but with the trick with the and it was the <laughs> casket too. I had forgotten about the casket. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of a weird name for something carrying a crown. It's the dead crown. That's what. So I just figured like uh, I figured Denethor was a bad guy, so he probably wouldn't be having the special wood for his chair. <laughs> you sound like the kid who like got a, got an A on a test in eighth grade, never studied, but like has all these reasons that you're like, yeah. how in the well, how did you yeah. get that right? But Faramir has it because he's a good guy. Yeah, see, yeah, it all that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah perfect. Your reasons are so wrong. But <laughs> well, uh, next well, one. All right, next one. What famous music group tried to make their own Lord of the Rings movie? Was it Ooh. Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, Pink Floyd, or Carmen? <laughs> <laughs> Just had to throw that in there full time soon. If you guys haven't listened to us on the Babylon Bee podcast, Carmen yeah. is a, mm. a uh, 90s Christian rapper, a classic famous Dude. music group. That that's a project I would want to see though. <laughs> that would be that would have been awesome. It'd been it'd have been like Carmen with like, boxing gloves, boxing his, with the Balrog. Yeah, yeah. Can yeah. you imagine what uh, you know? It would have been like uh, 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 Sauron bite the dust. We would have had. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. That would have been great. Um, yeah. Hmm. So again, what famous music group tried to make their own Lord of the Rings movie? The Beatles, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, or Carmen? Michael, I'll go to you first this time. I do know the answer to this one. So oh, you well should... then, okay. So Dan, you go. You go first this time. In that case, I'll guess the Beatles. Michael, he is correct. It is the Beatles. Hey, hey two to two. This is going to go down to the so, wire. So yeah. Although you know, Pink Floyd had and had a song. Yeah, they each had references to to uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Led Zeppelin did. Yeah, Floyd did. Uh, yeah, Carmen. Um, yeah, he probably had one at some point. <laughs> well, so, everyone except Carmen. I don't right. know. <laughs> so did they actually uh, put something together and it wasn't good and they didn't release it? Or did they release uh, something? Or Tolkien put the kibosh on it. 
and oh. tried to get rights and go down that path, but uh, they never did. I mean, you've seen, they, apparently somehow they let uh, Leonard Nimoy write a song about hobbits. About Frodo back, Bilbo that, that, that song slaps. That's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we need today. It's the... That's right. Uh, so yeah, um, uh, yeah. You're hurting my soul. Oh, <laughs> All right, next one. All right, okay. What was Mary Mariadoc Brandy Buck? What was his original name uh, in the first? I believe it was the first transcript that Tolkien submitted, or was available in notes. I don't. I don't know the exact exact one but it was uh the very first the very first wording okay so this this one's tough i i honestly wouldn't have known this one i, I had to look this one up uh was it merrimack was it marmaduke was it milo or was it rorimac what was mary's original name was it i Mary don't Mac? know this let me think was okay it give me marmaduke? give me the choices again okay merrimac uh marmaduke Rory Mac, Milo, or Carmen? <laughs> <laughs> One of these is going to be Carmen. I know it. Was it? I think that's uh, the name of the new character in uh, The Rings of Power, though. Was it Milo? Okay. Milo, what's your guess? Um, the one that isn't M with an R. Rory Mac. You are both wrong. Ooh. Yeah, it was, it was Carmen. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's where he got his name from. Uh, it was it was Marmaduke, believe it or not. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, Mary Mac and Rory Mac are progenitors, I think, or uh, cousins, uncles, fathers, grandfathers. I oh, Rory Mac, Rory Mac. Yeah, that gets. Um, he was uh, like a grand grandfather. Uncle, yeah, I think uncle? so. That sounds right. Like that. I think Mary Mac was too. Uh, but Milo, Milo was a was a brandy buck somewhere down the line parallel to him in the, the family tree uh or at least uh, that was the nickname but yeah i thought it was funny milo kind of like sam there's some That's simple cool. names that come along hmm. with that and marmaduke big giant Love dog it. who knew um last one so you guys are tied two two here we go <laughs> who was first cast as aragorn in peter jackson's lord of the rings who was the first person cast because it wasn't oh Viggo i Morton's think i know son. this so was it russell crowe Sean Bean, Stuart Townsend, Nicholas Cage, or Daniel Day Lewis? No Carmen, or Carmen. <laughs> or Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> he would have made an awesome Lord. Yeah. I mean, he could have played all the roles. So like, yeah, yeah. I think I know this one. Okay. Do, you, do you know so Michael? Should I, re- pre- should I, I repeat it again? Give you my people? names again. Sure. Uh, who was first cast as Aragorn in Peter Jackson's Lord of, the Rings, Lord of the Rings, and indeed did, I think, three days of filming before Jackson fired him and said he was too young, too too weird. I can't remember the exact reasons, but there were uh, he let him go, and they had to go with another guy. Uh, so, oh, Peter Viggo Morganson, obviously. Was it Russell Crowe, Sean Bean, Stuart Townsend, Daniel Day-Lewis, or Nicolas Cage? I mean, if it's too weird, it's got to be Nicolas Cage. But um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to guess Nicolas Cage. I'm pretty sure it wasn't him. Um, I know that. Um, I know that uh, Sean Bean wanted the part of Aragorn. Um, I don't know if he actually played him for a few days before shifting, though. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just go Sean Bean, and we'll see. What do you think, Dan? I think it's Stuart Townsend. Dan, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, pulled it out at the end. Well done. Nice Good job, job, Dan. It was Stuart Townsend, who nobody actually really knows anymore. I don't even know what he's done yeah. since being denied the Lord of the Rings position. Uh, but actually, the other four... Sean Bean, yeah, I think he was angling for it. I think he might have uh, 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 tried out for the role, but didn't get it. But he was cast, obviously, as Boromir. Uh, their first choice, I think, was Russell Crowe, who turned it down because he didn't think it was good enough. Um, he didn't think it would make enough money. He didn't like the sharing of revenue. Oopsie. Hmm. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis was also there, but it wasn't up his alley. Uh, they also actually did slightly pursue Nicolas Cage, believe it or not, wow. at one point. That would have been fun. Uh, yeah, that would have been a, the bees. That would have been. Think about yeah, it. that would. I mean, fun is one word for it, I guess. Like a trailer. <laughs> for fun. They tried to get Sean Connery, didn't they, for, for, uh, Gandalf. for Gandalf? Gandalf. They, they yeah. did throw it out there. I think that was because the studio wanted it, not that Jackson oh, okay. wanted it, and he had to send it out to him. But uh, yeah, I remember reading something where Sean Connery read the script, and he's like, "I can't figure out what's happening." Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't know what the what, what is this like. <laughs> yeah, I think that's in. Uh, there's a biography, or uh, a, a, I think it's called the Filmmaker's Journey, Peter Jackson Filmmaker's Journey, that was written after the 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 Lord of the Rings movies were filmed, which goes into all the details about the process of making the films, which was pretty interesting. And he, they, he does talk about how Sean Connery denied them there at that point. But it, I think Connery retired soon after like doing that too. He hasn't done anything. In, in, did he? Well, I have to say that the choice that they went with was excellent. It was by far the best. Ian McKellen was the rock star in that. Yeah. 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 That and Viggo Mortensen. I think they, uh, the casting is spot on. All right, let's move on. Let's get into the meat of it. Um, so of the coming of the elves and the captivity of Melkor. Uh, first time we get to meet the elves, the first time we get to see uh, a battle, essentially, between, uh, well, uh, the more details of a battle between uh, Morgoth and uh, Melrogoth, Melkor, and uh, the Valar, a little bit. But um, Dan, we always like to start off, if you have one, Dan. Big thought. I mean, your your one big thought isn't. I can't believe I won the trivia contest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the first big thought. The second big thought um, is uh, just the the fact that the elves uh, name themselves the Quindy. I believe is what they say. Because uh, and the reason being that the, that they find that they are the only ones they've encountered that speak with voices, <laughs> and so. Um, something I was, I've been reading about with Tolkien uh, for the last year going through Lord of the Rings is that he's all about languages. And it seems like he wrote the Lord of the Rings in part because he wanted to create a world where his languages could live. And I think it's interesting that the children of Iluvatar come and they have voices and they name themselves. And I think there's something very significant in that. And so I think there's something special about voices, uh, language, naming, and then you also find them singing right away. They they're, they're, they 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 are born. They look up and see the stars, and it makes a very clear note that they are singing. So I thought that was kind of a interesting detail. Nice. I've never thought about how 
I like how you tied that into Tolkien's desire to create a world for his languages, right? That his world was born out of the languages he'd already created. And so the languages birthed the elves, right? It wasn't, it wasn't the other way around. He had these, this idea for elves that he needed to um, fill with languages, you know, like, like every single fantasy author that's come after him, yeah. where they create the world and then they inhabit it and then they add the features around it. Whereas he had the features already created mm-hmm. uh, and he just needed the right, well, you know, coming from his sub-creative mind, he needed, he had the right uh, beings to inhabit the details he'd already created. It's a, it's probably a big reason why he does such a better job of world creation than any other fantasy author. Yeah, that's fascinating. I hadn't thought of that before, is that that is being tied into the order of his creation, where he creates his languages first. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. Hmm. There is so much tied in with words. I mean, the world is created for, through song, right? So we, we've read right. about that. And then the elves, as Dan mentioned, are people of voices, and they sing. So, Dan, you touched on something that I wanted, didn't want to pass over, because from our previous episode, we talked about how um, there, was a, there was a moment where there was an accusation of the patriarchy. Um, <laughs> and so I wanted to, I wanted to go to this, this fantastic passage at the beginning of this chapter, near the beginning. First of all, because the passage has my boy Mandos, who's my favorite of Valar, and he only <laughs> talks like eight times. So we got we to gotta read it when he talks. So, so he says, but at the bidding of Manway, Mandos spoke. They're talking about the fate of the elves, what, what's to be done, whether the world should be relit with some new light, um, which is in darkness for the elves. And this is Mando speaking. He says, In this age, the children of Iluvatar shall come indeed, but they come not yet. Moreover, it is doomed that the firstborn shall come into the darkness and shall look first upon the stars. Great light shall be for their waning. To Varda ever shall they call it need. And then, immediately, Varda went forth from the council, and she looked out from the height of Teniquitil, and beheld the darkness of Middle Earth beneath the innumerable stars, far, faint and far. So there are already stars, but they're all faint and far. Then she began a great labor, greatest of all the works of the Valar since their coming into Arda. And describes how she takes the silver dews of Telperion that she had gathered and, and makes the, the, the visible stars or the, the prominent stars um, for the elves. And so this is, so, so from a, from a, the, the patriarchy perspective, the greatest work ever done in Middle Earth is done by the female mm. Valar. Not you mean females. the one that identifies as a female? Right, she identifies as female. And <laughs> she, in fact, is female, as it turns out. Yes. But, um, but it, it's, a, it's, it's interesting to me because the crafter, the great crafter is Aule, right? But yeah. she has, and Melkor, of course, creates in a way. He I mean, he creates fortresses, and, and then he twists good things into evil things, um, a kind of dark creation. And but uh, she has the has the uh, title of the great the worker of the greatest of all the works and ever done in Arda, which is the creation of the stars. Hmm. So take that patriarchy. <laughs> hmm. I think it's interesting too that um, it's sort of uh, it, it's like. Mandos's words almost calls her to create more light. Like she says, yes. there's not enough. Um, and that, I mean, she, she takes delight in that. Um, and, and this is also where we get the innumerable names of all the stars here, which can be a little mind numbing at times. 
but it, it's it's great how the you know her setting forth this star in the sky ties itself all the way down into when um the the light of the vial of galadriel right when uh the exactly they have it and they they use the words uh that 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 are awakened in them just because of what varda had did you know tens of thousands maybe a hundred thousand years before i can't we don't know exactly how long it is uh but yeah it's a it's a great tie all the way back down into the very end of the third age. Yep, exactly. So then most of the chapter is about uh, describing how the elves were, in fact, in darkness and that uh, Morgoth knew, or Melkor, as he's still being called here, uh, knew that they were there and he sort of sowed seeds of fear so that they would respond badly when the Valar found them. Right. Um, and and then the valor that do the valor that does find them is Arome, the huntsman, and and so he uh, he meets them he and his horse Nahar, and uh, they are some of them are af- afraid but most of them are one one over and uh, some of them take a trip. <laughs> some of them take a trip. They go down <laughs> to uh, the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, and through all this, you know, I think I'm trying to find the exact quote right here, but it's that, you know, they, it was the darkness was corrupted by Melkor like he corrupts everything. And even though uh, it's not like it's an interesting thing because you have the elves, the dark elves, right? Or the, um, the gosh, I got to look at. OK, so Michael created this great document with pencil and paper, which oh, no. is foreign to me. But it has it kind of tries to figure out all the different names of the elves from the Sindar to the Falmari to the Umanyar to the Avari to the Nandor to the Vanyar, right? All this together. How are, how are they all spelled out? And I'll, I'll 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 try and create a file so that you guys can download it and, and look at this as we're uh, as we're talking through it. But um, this whole separation of elves is incredibly hard to decipher just through this this one chapter, I think. And maybe I'm jumping too far into this and we need to talk a little bit more about Morgoth right now and what happens to him in, a, in uh, Angband. But um, the, the the separation of the elves, uh, I think it's what the Morikwendi or the Dark Elves, the ones that stay, right? Am I right mm-hmm. in that? Yeah. Yeah, it's all of the races that eventually stay. All the people. You know, so right. there's, there's, and this is what I didn't understand. You're absolutely right, Jonathan, that, the, that the, the names for the different groups, Tolkien just multiplies the names. And so I for my own sake, had to sort of sketch it out at first. And so, yeah, I made a, a, a and hopefully our our listeners will forgive and viewers will forgive my chicken scratches. <laughs> but um, but I did make a, a diagram because it was always interesting to me to try to separate them out in my head. And I failed miserably the first time I read some earlier. Sure. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a, a group, there are groups of them and they, they're each given different names. I'm going to tie this back to what Dan said though, at the beginning about voices and words, right? So it is interesting that every time a decision is made by the elves, a group of elves, they get a new name. Mm-hmm. So whatever that decision is, whether that the decision is we're, we're following, we follow this leader, you know, whether you're of the Vanyar, you're, you know, you're the followers of Ingwe and you're a particular race of elves, you have a name, you're the, you're the Vanyar. If you follow Finway and you're a particular race of elves, the Deep Elves, you're Noldor. So yeah. it's as simple as that. But then when you make the decision to stay in Middle Earth or never go with the Valar at all, don't start the journey. You get a different name. You're a Vari. If you um, 
start the journey and then fall away during the journey, you're Umanyar. You're you get a different name. Um, if you when you join the um, the the one elf who saw the light of the two trees and returned and then never went back, which is Elway, who is then renamed Thingle. Um, if you join him and never go to vet to 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 um, to uh, the land of the Valar, Amon, then you are Sindar. Um, so you, you're they they are always whenever there's a decision made, there's a new name that goes with it. It's hmm. fascinating. That's interesting. I didn't catch that. You're right. Hmm. I'm just going through that. I'm, it's so much to take in. It's like the, it's you know looking at the stars that they list there. Um, if they list all these here, you have a hard time. And there's similarity between the names too. That makes it even more difficult. Um, so let's go through maybe some of these ones so that we can kind of recapture them. So there's the large, the Quendi, which are the people of voices, like you mentioned, Dan, in your big thought, uh, which Orome renames the people of the stars, the, the Eldar. Mm. So the Quendi and the Eldar are the same thing. Um, and then you have the Noldor, who were the first, I think the first ones to, to cross. Uh, and if we look at uh, Karen Fonstad's great atlas page that uh, Michael Yusa has have also brought up, the Great March of the Elves, uh, the Vanyar and the Noldor, right? So they're the ones that come across the first in the first, uh, first voyage. Right. And the Vanyar are the smallest group and the most faithful to the Valar. <clears throat> right. And then the Noldor are Finway, who will learn eventually that's where uh, Feanor uh, comes out of, and so does Galadriel. Um, and uh, some of those return to Middle-earth in, in battle and shame in a way. Uh, but then out of, outside of that, you have those. So the Noldor, the Vanyar, they go in the first, in the first voyage to, uh, to Amon, to Valinor. Right. Uh, the Teleri are those who tarry. Now, I think one thing, if you go further, the Teleri are also, uh, the, as we get down further, the Teleri are also used for those that are essentially the sea elves, right? But here. Yeah, this is, the, that was this particular point that you just brought up is the hardest one to decipher for me. And I, right. because there, he, he isn't really clear. There's all the other distinctions. If you dig in, you can actually get some clarity. This one, um, the way I drew it on in the diagram that that uh, you may we may be able to bring up at some point here, um, but the way I drew it was that the Teleri referred to everyone else, and and they were such a large group. They were a single group because they it says Tolkien says they were so large they needed two leaders, <laughs> so they have yeah. Olway and Elway as their leaders, not just one leader, um, like the Vanyar have one leader and the Noldor have one leader, so so they have two leaders, and then. One of those leaders will eventually, which is Elway, will eventually become Thingol, and he'll lead, he'll establish a kingdom of elves that never cross the sea, um, and that are called the Sindar, and and so the rest of them, the rest of the Teleri, in other words, um, are they become the sea elves? They do cross, but they don't um, they don't go into the heart of Valinor. They they stay on the coasts because they have a great love of the sea. And so the word that he gives one time for that is the Falmari. Um, and so, so, so that's the one I used. Really? Just one time? I, 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 well, it was one time. Yeah, I haven't come across. It's not one like time that. in this chapter than that I can remember. I, I yeah, didn't do yeah. a word search. should probably do that. 
Uh, that's, but that, I mean, yeah, the Falmari, I honestly didn't remember that they were called the Falmari until we reread this here and you, you sent over your, your notes. That, right. So, yeah, so, and then, and then there's of course the group of elves, like the Nandor, which they, they become, I think they're going to become the Sylvan, basically they're the elves that are closest to nature. And, um, there's two groups of them. At first they leave to stay, they leave the main group of Teleri to stay in Middle Earth and become super close to nature. But then there's their, the second generation leader of them, whose name is Denethor, hilariously not, yeah. nothing like the denethor that everyone's familiar with but um, yeah. he, he leads a smaller group of those people of those nandor away on the journey i don't know if he reaches i can't remember i don't know if, um if, if, when, when it says so on the picture i i i showed it as um not um um the well, part of the umanyar um who never reach so he they might they might like the sea elves, they might, some of them might cross over or they might um, end up staying in Beleriand and, and not crossing over. So this is all very confusing in one sense, but, um, but it is, it is fascinating to me that Tolkien had so many subdivisions and felt the need to, to talk about them to, to this kind of extent. It's definitely a part of the structure of his story. And remind me about, uh, Le- Legolas is um, Sylvan, right? Or is he? Sylvan? He's Sylvan, and I believe that that's going to become that's that's going to be right. from what what what's called in this chapter the Nondor. Yeah, yeah, right. And so they're the people apart that uh, may. I mean, yeah, never. No. I mean, technically, also Umanyar, right? Because anyone that stays and never makes anyone that starts the journey and never makes it is Umanyar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so now that we've got all this worked out and it's totally clear in our heads. <laughs> so all the all the elves that we encounter in The Lord of the Rings, are those the, or technically are they Umanyar because they never went to Valinor? Um, I know for sure Glorfindel and um, Galadriel are the two yes. that would have seen the light of the two trees. Now, Celeborn? Celeborn, I, he's Noldor, yeah. Yeah, so he should be. Yep, that's um, right. Yeah. Hmm. Wait, is he an older? Dang it. Yeah, this is why we reread these books. Because mm. in, uh, in even five passes, you're not going to remember everything. Yeah, I can't remember if Celeborn is Noldor or not. I, for some reason, I think he's above. He's he's reaching above his station when he marries Galadriel. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's just because she's Galadriel. Um, yeah. Or maybe. So, she... uh, sorry to interrupt, but I'm just wondering yeah, what what do you think is behind. Uh, they they make uh, Tolkien makes a big deal of writing about these elves that set out for the journey, and then for one reason or another, they're like they're they're too scared to keep going, or they're too distracted, or they're too like they they're they, they're too attached to what they already know. Um, it seems like it seems like there's something to that where he he makes a big point about talking about the elves that just don't want to go all the way for some reason. Yeah, yeah, it does. He does, and there's all groups of them, and. Yeah, we've talked about that so a, a bit. So, is, is your question why? Yeah, I'm just I'm just curious what 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 is it about the trip that that freaks so many of them out? I guess. <laughs> so it's a huge trip, right? And they're not going from point A to point B with lightning speed. It says right. deliberately that Orome, who's leading them, has to let them stop and and then go back to Valinor, then come back for them and. Uh, this journey takes many, many, many years, maybe centuries. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a, 
this is not and and each time the elves encounter something new, whether it's frightening or whether it is enticing, some of them stay and won't go further. And Middle Earth is a beautiful place. And so there's a lot of places that they stay, not because they're afraid, but because they grow to love the land and the, the beauty of the place that they're in. Hmm. And they don't know that there's greater beauty awaiting them, except for their, their three leaders who are like, no, it's really, it's a lot better over here. Just keep going. And funnily enough, one of those three leaders himself stays. Hmm. And we didn't even talk anything about the battle. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, like, well, we don't even know, like, I, you know, just just how certain kinds of people are attracted to certain kinds of leaders and they have certain kinds of dispositions. It's, it would be impossible for us to know exactly what Tolkien thought about it, but it was enough to where it seemed important to him to create these separations that allowed him to create a story that was deep and complex, even among just mm-hmm. just the elves. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, talking about the battle, maybe... Um, you know, the place to start is when Orome finds them, the battle with, with Morgoth, with Melkor. Uh, Orome finds the elves. Um, and uh, I think, you know, Morgoth has already been, uh, what's the what's the right way of saying it? He has been uh, kidnapping. He was aware of the awakening. And he sent, here's the, here's the line. He sent shadows and evil spirits to spy upon them and waylay them. So it came to pass some years ago, the coming of Orome, that if any of the elves strayed far abroad, alone or few together, they would often vanish and never return and the quendi said that the hunter had caught them and they were afraid and so uh <laughs> the hunter which is orme ultimately um but that's not that's not obviously who it was but uh, melkor had been scaring them already and i and it seems to me that that's what prompted orme to go back to the uh you know to the valar and say all right we got to deal with this yeah and it specifically calls out that those that were captured of those that were captured some of them became the first orcs they were tortured and tormented and twisted into the, first right. or, into the first orcs. Yeah. So, and interestingly enough for me, I don't know, Dan, if you caught this here too, um, unlike what we might see in the two towers or uh, Fellowship of the Ring, but uh, Fellowship of the Ring, yeah, where, uh, where Tolkien wrote, um, for the orcs had life and multiplied after the manner of the children of Iluvatar and not had life of its own nor the semblance of life that ever Melkor makes since he was going and Lindley before the beginning so wise so say the wise i didn't realize and i know i caught this before but i always forget that the orcs had life and multiplied after the manner of children of luvatar because i think an argument often is is that all the orcs are corrupted elves or men mm-hmm. uh, but clearly not that's not what tolkien intended because they multiplied after the manner of the children of luvatar so does that mean that where there are female orcs that we're not seeing kind of like the dwarves uh yes there has to be that's the only thing that can mean you're right mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, their their origin is the corruption and the twisting. It's not yeah. it's not how they continue on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I thought, I thought that was really interesting this time around. That, uh, that hmm. yeah, and and to be fair, do. as as we'll talk about later on in the book, there is some Tolkien's one of the biggest issues he had was with orcs um, throughout the creation of his world, and so there's there's other thoughts that come into his mind about them, but he very clearly, at least the work, the work as laid out in the Silmarillion by Christopher Tolkien, he very clearly um, intends the origin of the orcs to be the corruption of the, some of the first elves. Yeah, and that reminds me of a quote from uh, from Tolkien uh, regarding um, a, a little bit about the, the, the orcs um, where Tolkien was asked, I can't remember, this was May 1965. This is one of the quotes that uh, was put out on Twitter a little bit ago. 
that, that I put out on Twitter, is uh, Tolkien wrote, I don't feel obligated to make my story fit with formalized Christian theology. It's not anecdote. <laughs> uh, though I actually intended it to be consonant with Christian thought and belief, which is asserted in book five, page 190, where Frodo asserts that the orcs are not evil in origin. So even Tolkien, like you said, you know, he had trouble with the orcs because they were the personification of evil in a very real way to all the elves uh, when they encountered them. But uh, they were not evil in origin. And I think that was something he held on to. Uh, when it came to that, and he had to like he had to make Frodo recognize that in Lord of the Rings too. That's right, and and it's clear it's clear from this passage He's, that yeah. the orcs are not evil in origin because their origin is elves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so let's talk about the battle. Yeah, it's and it's, it's, how they it's come classic to Tolkien, right? He there's all this run up, and then he just describes the battle in like a paragraph. <laughs> the most interesting part of this here that can't that that of the whole battle is that um, when Orme comes back. And uh, he tells them that, uh, you know, essentially we need to do something about Melkor right now and the guarding of the Quendi. And, and uh, Tolkien wrote, Manwe sat long and thought upon Taniquatil, or however pronounce that. And he sought the council of Iluvatar, sought the council of Iluvatar. And coming down then to Valmar, he summoned the Valar to the Ring of Doom, and thither came even Omo from the sea. Then Manwe said to the Valar, This is the council of Iluvatar in my heart. That's interesting. That we should take up again the mastery of Ardo at whatsoever cost and deliver the Quendi from the shadow of Melkor. Uh, I thought it was interesting that um, he went to seek Iluvatar. That didn't really occur to me. It wasn't like a rah-rah, uh, uh, bang the drums, you know, uh, play the play the flutes and, and get the armies going. It was he went into thought um, in the way almost that, like, I would think that a prophet in the Bible does, where he, he thinks like he takes his time and sees what is the heart of God. To, to do and right uh, it's it's a kind of prayer i mean on, yeah. honestly no matter where, what what spiritual tradition you come from or none it's 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 in the it's in the manner of prayer where he's connecting with something higher than himself and in this case Iluvatar, and he's seeking the thought and, and we we were told in previous chapters that manway the reason for his nobility he's he's not greatest in power amongst the valor but he's greatest in nobility mm-hmm. and he's the closest to the mind of Iluvatar. And so, so he has a connection with Iluvatar that the others do not. And I like that Tulkis was glad. <laughs> that was the next phrase, right? It's like, all right. Yes, you can see him. Let's get this. Yes. You got him. Um, but Aule was grieved for building the hurts of the world that must come of that strife. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. So, the, so, so Melkor has spent all this time raising this massive fortress or series of fortresses and delving deep into the earth and, it's been countless years that he's been preparing for this battle. And then the Valar come over and just smash him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, there's basically, there's no, it's not like a push and pull. There's no, there doesn't seem to be a lot of tension in this one. It's just the power of the, of the um, Valar just overwhelms Morgoth. And, 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 yep. And it changes the entire shape of Middle Earth. Yep. The great sea that sundered it from Amon wide and deep and it broke in upon the coasts and made a deep gulf to the southward many lesser bays were made between the great, great gulf and Helcraxa far in the north where middle earth and so there there's like this is like this is not you know um few ar- artillery shells flying we're talking like massive nuclear explosions changing the entire face of correct northern part of middle earth yeah the closest thing we can imagine would be nuclear power being but even then it's not enough 
No, no, so nuclear doesn't power mean, doesn't actually um, destroy mountain yeah, ranges I mean, and perhaps, make the sea come rushing yeah. into the land. This is yeah. a power to crack is, the earth, not not, like, not just make holes in the earth. It's like major shifting of you know the earth's plates all of a sudden right. to, in order to, to change the face of the planet. Um, yeah. I wonder who the hosts of the Valor, the first victory of the hosts of the West. Hmm. Because I imagine, like, if it's the Valar coming, we're talking 14 people-ish. <laughs> so there, I, I think there's more than 14 in this host. And so you could say, well, it's the Maiar too, right? Okay, yeah. great. I, 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 can't, I don't think it says, but I can't imagine... I think the um, you would have to think that the well, well now that's it. That's all there is, right? Yeah, I mean the the, the Maiar. Uh, we don't know. Do, we don't know how many there are really. Ultimately, do we? It's never mentioned that there are. Yeah, you know, never Maiar. mentioned. It could be thousands that we don't know about that Terry and in, in True. Valinor. So I've uh, often wondered, like, who else is yeah. in those? I guess it's just Valar and Maiar. Yeah. In this case, yeah. now yeah. in the I mean, next it, in the next big war where this kind of thing happens, they. It's going to be different, but we'll, yeah. we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. And I like um, that, again, it's sort of, uh, we get to the chain and Gynor. I believe yes. that's how it's pronounced that Aule had rot. Um, and it just reminds me that Tolkien loves, you know, you, you give um, meaning to, to objects. Like in The Lord of the Rings, there's Grand for just, yeah. it's the, uh, the, the battering ram to take down the doors of uh, Gondor. And uh, minus Tirith, and here it's like this chain is so important. We are giving it a proper name, and we're going to name it Angainor. Which honestly, I don't know what it means. Does he say right here what the uh, meaning of Angainor? He is? does not, and I, I never looked it up. So that's a good good good, good trivia question. I don't big, know. What big, heavy <laughs> big heavy chain. Big heavy chain. Probably uh, knowing Tolkien, it probably just means something like never to be broken or something like that. Yeah. But um, I found it interesting um, what happens when he's when Melkor is brought back to the to the to um, Valinor bound hand and foot and blindfold, and he was brought to the Ring of Doom. So the Ring of Doom is actually in Valinor. It's a uh, geographic it means iron. feature. It means iron. That's all it means. Apparently. And Gynor means iron. Yeah, it cleans it includes the word Enga, which means iron. So ah. made of iron. Anyway, there you go. Sorry, go on. There he, that's Melkor, lay upon his face before the feet of Manwe and sued for pardon, but his prayer was denied. And he was cast into the prison in the fastness of Mandos, whence none can escape, neither Vala, nor elf, nor mortal man. So again, Mandos, the halls of Mandos are this, this place ruled by two Valar, um, Mandos himself, or uh, uh, darn it, forgot his original name already just two chapters ago. Um, starts with an N, though. So, it, and his wife. And and the power in this in these halls is so is so impenetrable that no one can escape, not even Valar. So it's it's fascinating. This is there's something else to this place. Uh, Namo, I believe, was his name. No, there we go. Yeah. Thank you. 
Um, I did have to look that up. I don't remember all these names either. Um, all right. But it only says a name one. Like he calls him Mondos the, the rest of the book. So after his halls, just like Lorien is called Lorien after his forests in yeah. Valinor. I think also uh, looking at what happens after Melkor is, you know, uh, is chained and then the Valar gathered in council where they were talking about what, what should be done with the Quendi and um, the Valar summoned the Quendi to Valinor there to be gathered at the knees of the powers in the light of the trees forever. And then Mendos broke his sound. So, so it is doomed from this summons came many woes that afterwards befell. And I think it was a few episodes ago. I think it was a couple episodes ago. We talked about how, when the Valar go from guarding to commanding, that's when many woes afterwards befell them, right? Hmm. When problems happen. And so here they are summoning them. They're not saying, we're going to help you out there. We're going to guard you. We're going to help you. We're going we're gonna to let you um, experience the creation that Luvatar has created. And you are his firstborn that will enjoy it there right where they'll know we're going to bring you here and just keep you safe like little kids who we don't trust right then it's like they never let them grow up almost or something along those lines where you look at feanor down the road when we get there right his hot-headedness is like a child um and maybe that you know is a little bit a part of it that when they command them to do these things there is no growth there is no ability to uh go outside the the bounds of the safe bounds of my crib in a way uh and hmm. and uh uh, it's that's the second time that that's occurred to me in the last couple of yeah it's, it's really fascinating tolkien's ambivalence towards the um rule of the valar i mean here he's created a race of beings who's who are so high above the other the creatures the rest of the creatures of the world and they've been given yeah. this 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 responsibility to guard the world and even to form it but he's but Tolkien has his distrust almost of even their ability to to rightly rule. Like right rulership mm-hmm. seems like such a difficult thing in his mind that even the Valar, even the good Valar, um, fail at it and make mistakes and that cause great grief down the line. He yeah. seems very, very distrustful of the exercise of authority. Hmm. I don't know if that plays out though. Yeah, yeah, maybe not, maybe not. I just see that. I mean, when you look at the end of the Return of the King, right? It's the Return of the King. It's the Return of the Authority. I was, I was thinking exactly that, and and so there definitely is a rightful authority. Like, and nobody says that nobody would claim that Manwe isn't the rightful authority over the Valar and over uh, guardian uh, the guardianship of of the, the of Middle Earth. But yeah, but but whenever, but he makes so many mistakes, and he's the closest to the mind of a Luvatar, and he makes so many mistakes. In, hmm. in, in what he does and what he decides. It's fascinating. Which, which we'll continue to see in the next couple of chapters when we deal with Morgoth a little bit more. Yep. Well, we've gone a while. Yeah, we have. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts that we want to um, bring up? I thought it was interesting that um, the Misty Mountains, the mountains, the Hithaglir, upon the borders of Eriador were taller and more terrible in those days, and they were reared by Melkor to hinder the riding of Orome. So even the mountains that Gandalf and Frodo and Aragorn and Boromir had to pass over were the same mountains that Melkor reared in order to stop Orome from getting to the, uh, essentially getting to the elves. That was an interesting... That is, that is really nice, interesting thought. 
because and that the whole uh, just so real fast and to, to sort of uh, with that point uh the other point that was made about the elves is that uh tolkien wrote never did melkor forget that this war upon him was made for the sake of the elves and that they were the cause of his downfall so mm-hmm. his hatred of the elves comes from the valar wanting to protect them ultimately nice hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would. My thought was just about the Misty Mountains. Um, mm-hmm. Unlike in the movies, the the spiritual force that that uh, the sort of the malice of the mountain that the yeah. Fellowship encounters as it's going over the Misty Mountains. The the passive Kara, the Karathras. Yeah, passive. Karathras. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so the passive Karathras is is a um, the mal there's never there was it wasn't Saruman chanting words no, no, no. that that you know casting his weather control spell from afar that 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 brings the mountain down on them or anything like that. There's actually a spirit of malice in the mountains that is opposing them. Um, that's not Saruman. That's a good and, point. And, and he never Tolkien never elaborates more on that. But when we look at the origin of the mountains, the mountains were raised by Morgoth. So. Yeah. How fitting is it that they end up being an enemy to the free peoples of the earth, um, awesome. even unto the third age? Right, and that would that, that would give a good reason to why there's the Watcher in the Water, maybe, and we could like mm-hmm. go down the whole path of like the Balrogs ended up being there because it's it's the mountains that Sauron reared or that the Morgoth reared. Right, yeah. and only the dwarves mm-hmm. are silly enough to think that they can make a profit <laughs> off of this situation. Everyone else they do is like, for a time. <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> they made a good run of it. The it was ROI was pretty day. high during before the Balrog came. It was the worst of days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. I love that. Let's end on that because that ties together. I love tying together the, the the very beginning of the Silmarillion all the way down to the very end of the Lord of the Rings that we can all identify with. Because those of you who are listening, you've probably at least seen the movies, and so you get that. Awesome. Exactly, and and this is Tolkien, right? He he writes in these emanating rings of history, which where there's reflections, one age to another age to another age. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. That was great. I I really like this episode, like talking about all the different tie-ins together and trying to figure out all the elves, which really helped a lot just to talk about and think about it. So uh, if you still don't get it, maybe listen one more time or take a look at the, 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 uh, the chart, the Chicken scratch, as Michael says, that he yeah. put together in order to try and figure it all out. Yeah, that, that, that chart is super helpful. Yeah. Um, and so before we sign off, there's always, I like to do the... If you like Tolkien. And um, one of the things that I got a long time ago, which is actually still in print, uh, is this book called The Languages of Tolkien's Middle-Earth. And it goes through all 14 languages. It talks about how to pronounce them. It has some vocabulary. It has, you know, all the the kirth and the runes and the letters and, and the wow. things that are important to go through it. It's not that huge of a book, but it's a, it's 200 pages or so. Yeah. It's a great little reference. Um, you can look up, uh, you know, specific, um, uh, a lot of the uh, uh, proper names in here. There's a whole uh, dictionary at the end. Uh, so if you're like, okay, who was Harry? And well, he was the third ruling steward of Gondor. Oh, all right. I got that. Uh, this came out, I think in uh, 1981 or 80. So it's been, it's been, oh, 74, it was first printed, but it's right. still in print. So clearly it's worthwhile. So if you want something that's maybe a little, uh, a little addendum to the other side, you've got the visual and the, um, the Alice of Middle-earth. And then here, if you really want to delve into the languages a little bit more, I think the languages of Tolkien's Middle-earth by Ruth Noel 
is a great thing. Yeah. And there's Dan's got the Atlas. In the yep. Room. That's where the, our picture came from yeah. of the journey of the elves with Dan this was holding. This is but super I, cool. I, I heartily recommend Noel's book that, that uh, Jonathan was in. That was the first one that, that was how, where I learned the, uh, the languages. I was given it as a gift. And when I was in high school um, yeah. and, and learned my, the Elvish script and, and Tengwar and um, all of wow. that. Wow. Wait, wait, By, hold on, hold on. Learned like you actually sat down and like started like writing it and things like that. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. that's awesome, man. This is nerd, nerd, nerd alert, nerd alert. <laughs> this, isn't even nerd, I, this isn't nerd one hundred and one or nerd two hundred and one. This is like nerd four hundred and four. Yeah, man. Hey, man. All I did was wait uh, two hundred twenty-five hours for the Phantom Menace. So you know, <laughs> I just told my kids about Phantom Menace. They've never actually seen it. Oh yeah, well my kids oh, were going to spared. Yeah, no, we watched. Uh, <laughs> I had mercy. Okay, so, so another, if you like Tolkien. Uh, you probably also like Star Wars. And so back in like 10 years ago or so, eight years ago, somebody created the despecialized editions that you could uh, download using torrents off online for that. It's the only way to get the closest to the original versions of Star Wars Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Mm, nice. So watch that with my, my kids over the last three weeks. And hmm. the two young, two girls in the middle, seven and nine, they, they were pretty they were astonished by Darth Vader and the whole thing because I'd kept that from them long enough. Anyway... So if you like Tolkien, look at the uh, very specialized nice. editions of Star Wars. So, all right, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, this has gone a little bit longer. Maybe I'll cut out the whole half of the middle and we'll see what we get at this. Um, but yeah, uh, next week we're going to go into Of Thingle and Melian and remind me what the next chapter is of that. Of Eldamar and the Princes of the Eldalier. All right. So of Eldamar and the Princes of the Eldalier, I believe. All right. Pronounce that another one. So thanks for listening. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Torque T O R C is the handle. Uh, you can find us on YouTube if you're not already watching there. Uh, you can give us a five star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to us. That's always appreciated. And subscribe because you know we like to see people subscribe to us. Um, in the future, we're going to have some comments from you guys. We're going to read some of those here uh on the uh on the podcast we're not quite there yet we've been pre-recording some of these episodes to give us a little bit of runway but we'll be getting there eventually so thanks for listening and we see you next week thanks everyone All right. thank you michael dan and jonathan want to thank you the listener for joining us visit us at theonering.com your source for everything tolkien where you can comment on this episode and join the conversation this is austin robertson bidding you farewell May the wind under your wings bear you where the sun sails and the moon walks. <laughs>